Well, good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you today and uh, really excited about continuing on from uh, where we started last week, looking at the prophetic word that the Lord has laid upon my heart for us as a church. Uh, if you um, have your Bibles with you, uh, please turn to Luke chapter 4. There are no message notes, okay? So you can take your own notes uh, for this if you would like to. Luke chapter 4. And uh, as I shared with you last week, and by the way, if you missed the message last week, it is online. So you can either watch it or listen to the podcast, either via the Bayside Church app or the website. I encourage you to really catch up with that and uh, make sure that you are aware of what the Spirit of God is saying to us as a church uh, at the moment. So it's very strategic, very important. Jesus said on numerous occasions, if you have ears, hear. And then in, of course, Revelation, for those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And uh, so I think it's really important that we're not just listening, um, you know, with our heads, but also our hearts as well. And uh, in recent weeks, the Lord has impressed upon me that the best days for Bayside Church are still ahead. And so I've called this message last week and this week, the best is yet to come. For those of you who weren't here last week, our first scripture was Haggai chapter 2, and particularly verse 9, which has literally been buzzing around on the inside of me for several weeks. And it says, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And, uh, you know, we looked at a little bit of a history lesson uh, about what the background of that is, that Solomon's temple, of course, this grand temple had been built around 1000 BC, and then in the 500s, Nebuchadnezzar and his armies, the Babylonian Empire destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and killed a lot of people and then led the rest into captivity in Babylon. About 47 years later, the Babylonian Empire was overthrown by the Persians, King Cyrus was their first king, and he made a decree that the people of Israel were allowed to go back to Jerusalem and re-establish Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And he actually funded the building program, which is incredible. So tens of thousands of people went back and they started building their homes, restoring Jerusalem, finally got around to rebuilding the temple. And now they're watching the temple being built, and it's just not a patch on the old one. And the people that were there, particularly the older people, they were, they were there. Uh, Sol they saw Solomon's temple. They remember the gold and the, and the ornaments and the engraving and the magnificence of it. And they're comparing it to this one that they're seeing in front of them. And it's just not, it just doesn't match up. And so Haggai prophesies uh, over them. And he says, the glory of this temple, the one you're seeing before you right now, will be greater than the glory of that Solomon's temple that some of you remember. And in this place, God says, I will grant peace. It's so easy for us to look back and think of the past as better than today. But God's house is made magnificent and marvelous by His presence. And that is what the Holy Spirit is saying to Bayside Church. I don't know about you, I don't want to do church without the presence of God. And uh, we are so blessed at Bayside 
to, uh, to worship God, and we have an amazing team of people who make it so easy for us to worship. And as we worship, we are filled afresh with the Spirit. We have wonderful people who teach and preach the Word of God on a regular basis. And as we listen to this and as we embrace the Word and put it into practice in our lives, we are blessed. I also wrote a blog during the week. Uh, which um, mentions the prophecy, in fact, uh, outlines the prophecy, and I believe we have some copies on the back table of the prophetic word as well. So with that background in mind, I'm sure you found Luke 4. It's a whole lot easier to find than Haggai. So Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read from verses 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread through uh, the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised Him. I just want to pause there just for a moment. So to realize this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and already He is recognized and respected as a rabbi in Israel. He um, is traveling around Galilee, and He's preaching and teaching in their synagogues. And so Luke tells us that in general about Jesus, and then he hones in on one specific occasion. In verse 16, Jesus went to Nazareth, where He had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, He went into the synagogue, as was His custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Him, Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. So in those days, they would stand up to read the Scripture, and then they would sit down to preach. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, and he went on to teach a message that for whatever reason, Dr. Luke decided not to include. And I'm looking at that, and I say, Luke, for goodness sake, I, you just you, you you put in the text and his opening line and you go, that'll do. And as you read through the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the the book of Acts as well, we we get some insight into into this man. He was a Gentile doctor. Uh, he was a man who was well read and well researched. He tells us at the beginning of the book of Acts and the book of Luke that he spent a lot of time. Uh, reading and researching all the various writings about the life and times of Jesus Christ. I mean, all we have in our Bibles is four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But back in the first century, dozens, possibly hundreds of people had committed to writing what Jesus said and did. And, and there was oral stories that were passed on as well. And so I can imagine Dr. Luke sitting at his desk, a very learned man, a man of great structure, and, 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 and very deliberate uh, about the way he went about things. And he's sitting there and he's looking at all of these documents that he's been able to collect that different people have written down and he's prayerfully uh, deciding what he will and will not include under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he writes down Jesus' text and his opening line and then he looks at the sermon and goes, nah, we'll leave that out. And I was a bit miffed when I realized that. 
Because I now, I want to know. And it's not as if we can go on, you know, the Nazareth Synagogue app and listen to the podcast. We can't visit www.nazarethsynagogue.com. That's impossible for us to do. And so we actually don't know what Jesus preached on that day. But I want to suggest to you that Luke left out the sermon for a very good reason, because he actually didn't want us to miss the incredible truth that Jesus was communicating to all of us. And so it says here that the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on Jesus. The Greek word is atenizo, which is the, uh, what we get our English word attention from. So I'm preaching today, you're giving me your attention. The, the eyes of everyone uh, in the synagogue were fastened on Jesus. There was no one checking their iPhone. Uh, there was no one looking at social media. Uh, a number of you just looked up at me, and, uh, which is great. Um, and so they were, these, their eyes were fastened on him because he was preaching, but there's a deeper reason And that is that they knew their scriptures and they couldn't work out why Jesus finished reading Isaiah where he did. Because he literally stopped halfway through a sentence. And they're kind of looking up at him going, why'd you stop there? You see, in Luke, Jesus said to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant. And then he sat down and he preached the sermon. But he's quoting from what we know as Isaiah chapter 61 that says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. There's no comma, no full stop between favor and the day of. It's just there. The the, the year uh, of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And what Luke is wanting us not to miss here is that Jesus came to bring the gospel. He came to bring good news. He didn't come to proclaim judgment. He didn't come to proclaim vengeance. He came to declare the gospel, the good news, that is the beginning of the year of the favor of God. And when it talks here about the year of favor and the day of vengeance, he's not talking about literal time periods. He's not saying, well, there's going to be a 24-hour period of vengeance and there's going to be a 365-day year of favor. What he's saying is there's a long time period of favor followed by a very short period of vengeance or judgment. And that's the way it should be. I mean, you know, we're talking earlier about about parents and children and and, and a, a good parent, if their child does something wrong, will correct the child and, and give some appropriate discipline. But once that's been uh, given, you don't discipline them again unless you're really unkind. You know, if your child is naughty, then you correct them and and, and an appropriate punishment. But when you come back in later, you don't give them the same punishment again. They go, what's this for? Oh, it's for what you did. But you already punished me for that. No, I'm going to punish you for talking back. And, and, and then, you know, you don't then freeze them out by being moody with them for a few days so that every time they see you, they're just reminded, oh, yeah, that's right, a week ago I did the wrong thing. What a horrible way to grow up. 
And God is not like that. I mean, sometimes as parents, we get it wrong, and I'm not wanting to bring condemnation on anybody here, but God is the perfect parent. And, and what he talks about here is a, when, when it comes to judgment or correction or discipline, it's short and sharp and to the point, and then it's over. But when it comes to the favor of God, it goes on for a very long period of time, and Luke doesn't want us to miss this wonderful truth. In the Hebrew mindset, a year of favor is a season when God would visit His people and overturn a situation in which His people had been at the mercy of their enemies. He would relieve the oppressed, set free the imprisoned, and cure the sick. It would be a whole new age in which God would lift His people out of their distress, and that's the age that we live in now. And that's what I prophesy over Bayside Church, that we are entering into a new time of God's favor upon us, a new beginning, a fresh start. Now, the year of favor inferred two things which are incredibly profound, and I just want to spend a few minutes on each of these. The first thing that the year of favor infers is jubilee the year of jubilee that's introduced in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 10. This 50th year is sacred. It is a time of freedom and of celebration when everyone will receive back their original property and slaves will return home to their families. That's what it tells us in Leviticus. So the calendar of Israel was set up in groups of seven. So they were allowed to plow, sow and reap, harvest for six years, and then the seventh year, they had to give the land a rest. And, and then they, the seven-year cycle would start again. And so, every seventh seven, 49, was followed by the 50th year, which was the year of Jubilee, at which point everything was brought back to the way it should be. And so, for example, debts were cancelled in the 50th year. Let's think about that for a moment. Who here, you got some sort of debt, you got a mortgage or some sort of other financial debt, apart from me and Christy, anybody else? All right, yep, there's a, there's a few of us here. Okay, so, so what would it be like? You know, I've just noticed Chris and Haley. they both raised their hands. Wouldn't it be lovely if, if tomorrow morning you guys get a phone call from your bank, so like mortgage? Yep, yep, okay. So your bank rings you. Uh, sorry, is, is, that, is, is that Mr. and Mrs. Quinn? Yes, it is. Um, I've just got some really, really good news for you. We've realized it's a year of jubilee, so we just want to let you know we've canceled your mortgage. Have a nice day. Isn't that great? I mean, I pray that happens. That would be a miracle, right? If that, wouldn't that be wonderful? And so that's what the year of jubilee was like for the people of Israel. If a, if a farmer uh, during the years had uh, gone into debt and couldn't pay his debts, he would forfeit his land to the person he owed the money to and uh, then would become a slave, an indentured servant to the person he owed the money to. But in the year of Jubilee, the land was restored to the farmer. They were, re they were released from slavery. Isn't that a beautiful picture? They would have their land restored to them. It was a time when everything would be restored to the way it was supposed to be. It's like we've got some electronic devices that have a reset button. And if you push the reset button, it sets everything back to normal. 
Uh, on my mobile phone, I have noticed um, under settings that if you scroll down um, at the bottom, it's got a little uh, button that you can push that says restore factory settings. Now, I have resisted the temptation to push that. Although I do back up my iDevice on a regular basis, but if I push that button, it just sets the whole phone back to the way it was before I took it out of the box. It restores it to the way it was meant to be before I became the owner of it. And I want you to get that picture here because when we read in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, God created this world in, in a beautiful way, but then things kind of spiraled down as sin entered into the human family. But what Jesus was doing on this day, what Dr. Luke didn't want to miss, was that when Jesus stood up and he proclaimed the year of God's favor, he was pushing the reset button on the human family. He was restoring our factory settings. He said, this is the way I created you to be. And so in Christ, we are restored. We're brought back to normal. It doesn't mean that we are perfect, but one day we will be, and He will push the reset button on the whole planet sometime in the future when Jesus returns to it. And so Jesus came to proclaim a perpetual jubilee for all people who would participate in it. So the year of favor infers jubilee, and secondly, it refers amnesty. Now, this is very much in our thinking at the moment because, of course, just over a week ago, the horrendous mass shooting occurred in Christchurch. Um, and I, I love the way that the PM of New Zealand has been so quick to say, okay, we have a problem, New Zealand, and we're going to fix it. And so she's uh, introduced new laws, new legislation uh, to outlaw certain types of guns, and she's proclaiming an amnesty where unregistered or illegal weapons can be handed in. Uh, if you were alive and conscious in 1996, you will remember that the Howard government did something very, very similar uh, after the Port Arthur massacre. Now, 18 years leading up to that, there were a number of awful mass shootings in Australia, but when Port Arthur happened, which at the time was the worst uh, mass shooting in the world, I believe, John Howard and his government said, enough is enough, we're going to change things. And so they did this gun buyback scheme, but under the Australian uh, Constitution, you, you can't confiscate people's property. If you're going to do something like an amnesty, you actually have to pay for the property. And so to raise money, they introduced a one-off Medicare levy, raised $500 million and literally bought back all of these weapons. Over the next few months, over one million illegal or unregistered weapons were handed in. And we haven't seen a mass shooting of that scale. In fact, we've hardly seen anything over the last years since that time uh, has taken place. Malcolm Turnbull, under his government a couple of years ago, had a national firearms amnesty in which 57,324 firearms were handed in between July and September 2017 across Australia, either to be registered or destroyed. During that time, thousands of automatic rifles were handed in, thousands of handguns and a rocket launcher. I'm glad you find that as funny as I do, Em, because I, I, when I read that, I... 
Who the flippin' heck has a rocket launcher? Now, no, normally, if you were found in possession of a rocket launcher, you would be arrested and probably imprisoned. But during an amnesty, no problem. Now, I don't know if this is how it happened, but my imagination has this guy, and look, it might have been a woman that owned the rocket launcher, but I have a feeling it's more of a guy thing to have. This guy loaded it up on his trailer, and he drove down to the local police station, and he parked the trailer and the car out the front of the police station, and he walked in, and he saw the constable on charge, and the constable said, what can I do for you? And he said, well, I've got something outside that I need to hand in during the amnesty, and I'm wondering if you and the boys would give me a hand. <laughs> and the constable says, well, what is it? And the guy says, oh, actually, I've got a rocket launcher. Now, normally he would be arrested, but in this amnesty period, the constable says, oh, okay, mate, no problem. Hey, boys, rocket launcher outside. We've got to go fetch it. No worries, constable. And so they all walk outside together and they take a corner each and they lift it in and they put it in whatever room they store rifles, handguns and rocket launchers. I mean, go figure. Well, that's what Jesus is introducing here. And that's what Luke doesn't want us to miss, that the point of an amnesty is that something that is illegal and thus punishable is neither illegal or punishable during the amnesty period. That's what Jesus introduced when he taught in the synagogue all those years ago, that God is willing to accept people despite their sins, that we can hand in our sins, no questions asked and no punishment given. How awesome is that? I've done stuff wrong in my life. So have you. The Bible says that the penalty of our sin is death. Normally, you would be punished. But during an amnesty period, we do, it doesn't matter what you've done wrong. You can go to God and you can hand it in. And any time you sin, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, that is, if we agree with God that what we have done is wrong, then God is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's wonderful. So it doesn't matter what you've done. You can just go to God. And just, what do you got there? Oh, I've got a sin. Okay. Well, just hand it over. All right, there you go, Lord. Thank you. And he receives it. He doesn't punish. And he pays you because that's what happens during an amnesty period. I wonder if you've ever thought about that, that actually God pays you for your sins that you hand over. What does He give you in return? Well, forgiveness, righteousness, blessing, healing, eternal life, all of these amazing gifts that are handed out to us in exchange for our sins, all because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what Jesus was declaring on that day 2,000 plus years ago when He was standing in His home synagogue introducing a year of the favour of God. That's how Jesus started his ministry and he practiced what he preached until we, he was crucified. Just before his death, in Matthew chapter 25, he gave a number of parables to describe the values of the kingdom of heaven. One of them is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he talked about these same values that he 
that he introduced in that synagogue from Isaiah chapter 61. He talked about feeding the hungry and thirsty, offering hospitality to the stranger or the foreigner, clothing the naked, looking after the sick and visiting prisoners. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. It isn't by accident that Jesus emphasized at the beginning and the end of his time on earth the importance of demonstrating the good news, the gospel, by doing good to those who are in need. Oftentimes, sadly, the church is seen as protecting its own self-interests rather than looking out for the interests of others. If we're going to lobby governments, it should be on behalf of those who have no voice the poor and the marginalized, the asylum seekers, victims of domestic or other types of abuse, widows and orphans, the homeless and the trafficked, prisoners, people in hospital and nursing homes, and those caught in a cycle of addiction. That's the gospel that people need to hear and to see. That's the kind of Christianity that Jesus started and that attracted people to Him over 2,000 years ago, and that's what the Holy Spirit impressed upon me recently about Bayside Church. We are now entering a year of God's favor, a new beginning, a fresh start. Are you ready? Amen. Let's all stand together, shall we? And so I'm going to make this prophetic declaration over you. It's uh, almost the same as last week, except I've added a bit at the end from Luke 4. So if you weren't here last week, this is new to you. If you were, receive this from the Holy Spirit today. And I want you to position yourself so that in your mind and your heart, as well as uh, physically, that you are open and receiving what the Holy Spirit is saying to this church at this time. I prophesy that God is bringing us into a new time of His presence that Bayside Church will be all the more magnificent and marvelous because of the presence of God filling and empowering all we do. People who have been rejected or exhausted by other churches will find a home here. New people will come and join us, and some of those who have moved on for whatever reason will realize that this is the house God has planted them in and they will return to continue the journey with us. I proclaim we will see many people choose to become followers of Jesus, to have their sins forgiven and their lives transformed by the gospel. This transformation will inspire their family and friends who will also come and see what has caused such change. Some of them will also receive Jesus as their Savior. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I declare that God is raising up new leaders, new connect groups, fires around the bay where God's people can enjoy genuine community, pray and care for one another, and reach out to their neighbors. And I see an increase in boldness for God's people, not that we become brash and bombastic, but rather out of humility and compassion towards the hurting, we would offer to pray and genuinely care for the poor, the sick, the lonely, the imprisoned, and the marginalized, that God will make your righteousness go forth as the light and your justice as the noonday sun, 
that the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And the Bayside Church has entered a year of God's favor, a new beginning, a fresh start, because the best is yet to come. Amen.